Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. You're listening to the Design Build Hunt podcast presented by Whitetail Partners. Here we cover all things whitetail property design, habitat improvement, and hunting strategy. Let's change your property for good. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Design Build Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Josh Raley with Whitetail Partners. Almost said Whitetail Partners, Wisconsin. Whitetail Partners, Georgia. And I've got Jake on the line with Whitetail Partners, Michigan, and Brennan, Whitetail Partners, New York. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. How's it going, guys? Good. How are you doing? Pretty good. Pretty good. We were just discussing it. It seems like uh, I can't get well. I've been sick for... I don't know, a month straight at this point, but you know what? We're going to make it through this episode. It's going to be pretty good. So uh, what's what's been going on in you guys' world over the last, I don't know, what's it been, a week since we talked last? Yeah, I think about a couple weeks. Yeah, just on the weekends, doing a lot of consulting work uh, yeah, on a lot of different properties. And then here at the the home farm, I guess, right now doing a lot of cutting. So anytime I get some free, free time, just getting out there uh, with the chainsaw in my hand and, and taking some trees down, uh, whether that's, you know, those larger trees to get more sunlight into the ground. And there's, there's a couple areas where trying to do a little bit more detail work within those bedding areas. When we had that all that snow, it, it's warmer now. It's in the maybe like the upper 30s. So all that snow got really heavy. And so it pushes mm. a lot of those tops down and it can kind of collapse some of those areas. So you got to go in there and just see which areas need a little bit more maintenance. And so that's what I'm kind of doing right now. Right, yeah, I've, I've right. been doing the same, just super busy consulting, and obviously I've got the chainsaw in my hand as much as possible up here. So, uh, and we're we're still good, not too much snow, so it's it's been good, it's been safe to be out there, and and I'm going to continue doing the same thing. Excellent. Yeah, we've got a we've got a busy couple of uh, weeks or months ahead of us, there, gentlemen, and uh, our own properties may may fall to the wayside. So get out there while you can if you're not on a property and and get on top of yours because if if you don't. You'll look up and it's May, and you haven't done anything on your ground yet. So, um, anyway, don't 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 miss the time. But guys, I thought uh, this evening what we would discuss on on this specific episode 
would be a little bit more of an in-depth conversation regarding deer bedding. So we've talked before about, you know, forest stand improvement, working in your timber, cutting down trees. Everybody knows they need to go take out some timber. They need to reduce the canopy so that more sunlight can get to the ground so that there's more cover, better cover, better forage on the ground for whitetails. We get all of that. But when it comes to creating specifically bedding areas, and bedding areas that may not be in places where, uh, where we typically think, like it, you know, maybe it's not the upper third of a hardwood ridge line that you're cutting in a bedding area. Maybe it's a low swampy area. Maybe it's an old pasture. Maybe it's, uh, you know, a, a creek bottom even. Maybe it's uh, an agricultural field that you've got the opportunity to convert back to bedding. I want to hear about what are some of the strategies that you guys are, are using, not only on your own properties, but with your clients, where you're seeing success. Does that, does that sound like a, a worthwhile conversation? It does. It does. Mm-hmm. All right. So let, let's kick it off then. Uh, Jake, maybe I want to kick it to you first and tell me a bit about some of the terrain types that you're dealing with before we jump into talking bedding specifically. So I guess you started off by talking about that upper third of a hill. And it, there, while we do have some properties here in Michigan that do have some elevation change, a lot of the properties that I visit are, are on the flatter side. There's not a whole lot of elevation change uh, in Michigan. It, it, you know, it's fairly flat. A lot of just open hardwoods. Uh, and then also we can get into that kind of that swamp, swampy areas. So whether it, not, a, not always like flooded timber, but just an area like a cattail marsh or just a tag alder swamp. Just a, a nasty area that uh, you would historically think, oh, okay, there, there might be a lot, of, a lot of deer in there. But yeah, right, I would say that, right. yeah, either you're open hardwood setting, that's what we're dealing with a lot, that we need to convert, convert that into bedding. Or uh, trying to encourage deer to bed maybe in, in, those, in those swamps. And they already, again, they already want to, but maybe we can get more specific on, on where they want to be. Right, right. It, it it was really interesting. I was talking to a another consultant here uh, who had uh, before he was consulting, he had a consultant out to his property, and the consultant told him that that deer don't bed in swamps. Deer don't like swamps. Deer won't bed in a swamp. And, and I was like, "Oh, buddy, did you, did you ask him to leave? Like, I don't. <laughs> did you did you ask him to leave? Because what do you mean, deer don't like swamp? I mean, and I and I know that all swamps are different, right? Like yeah. a deer doesn't like a swamp that's you know neck deep in water, right? But at the same time, they do like some high areas within those swamps. So, uh, Brennan, run me through kind of the the terrain types that you're dealing with. I mean, Michigan is as well, but when I think of New York, man, I think of a of a state that's like underrated for the level of diversity that it has. Oh, you're 100% right. I mean, we literally have anything under the sun. I mean, we literally have swamps, we have hills. Um, you know, compared to a lot of Midwestern states, our ridges are not as uh, as sharp and, and uh, as abrupt as, let's say, in, in Ohio. Um, our ridges are usually, you know, very, very mild. A um, 100-acre property, you're pretty much going to be hunting one ridge where at 100 acres of Ohio property, wow. you could have 12 ridges, you know. And there is right. areas like that, but that's just the majority of the time. But, yeah, as far as swamps, we deal with it as well here. Um, there, there's a lot of properties that are swamp properties, especially, you know, you get out in Western New York, that's where the terrain really flattens off. Um, there's a lot of ag land there, but in between those ag fields, you know, you, you will see swamps and just over the years where, uh, those farmers have diverted water out into these, um, these wooded areas, uh, these brushy, brushy areas, you will have technically a man-made swamp. So it's definitely something we deal with. 
Excellent, excellent. What about what about timber projects? That's something big for us down here in the south, where um, you know we we run into it a lot, or I run into a lot on properties where where I am, where we've got either a recent clear cut that's three four years old, kind of that getting to that prime bedding uh, age, let's say. But it can be tough because man, the clear cut might be a hundred acres, you know, and so it's like, boy, that's a one hundred acre bedding area on your on your property or on the neighbor's property what are we going to begin to do with that so that can be a, a bit tough to tackle but uh let's let's just kind of run through some of these maybe talk about the uh the hardwood setting the more open hardwood setting first because that's probably what a lot of folks are familiar with if they've watched a lot of youtube and seen bedding people talk about cutting in a bedding area they've probably seen a lot of that so uh one of you guys speak to you know cutting in bedding in a hardwood location, maybe what are some of the things that you're looking for and what's your process for cutting that in? Yeah, like you said, that's probably one of the most common bedding areas that people are trying to create on their properties just because that's the habitat that most people are starting with. They're, they're buying a property and they have a lot of open hardwoods and that's the reason that they are st- they're going to do the improvements is because they they don't have bedding to begin with. And the, the first thing that it's important is this a location. And it's going to be kind of difficult to, I guess, too much, maybe a lot of time to get into like exactly where you should put that bedding area. Uh, for, for me, it needs to make sense. Like, is this an area that I can get around, uh, you know, in the morning, like when I'm leaving my stand location, access around it? I don't want to have to walk through it. Am I leaving enough room between this bedding area and my neighbor's property to where, you know, once you cut a bedding area, you're going to, eventually or you're going to be creating a basically an edge right there which is going to create a trail that a lot of these deer are going to work around and if you put that sometimes too close to your neighbors you can be inadvertently pushing the deer onto your neighbor's property so depending on that every property is going to be a little differently but the location is huge on every bedding area right. my right. process how important how important is topography for you in that in that i mean i know i know michigan is fairly flat Yep. But but how important is that topography piece? Like when I when I consume a lot of hunting media, I run into oh bucks, you know the, the it, it's the dogma right? Bucks bed on the upper third on points with the wind over their back every single day. And how important is that kind of stuff for you when you're thinking about where you're going to put a bedding area? A lot of times for me, I, I kind of start with the food source and then work my way back from that. So like I, the first thing I need to figure out is where are we going to place food? And sometimes, you know, it, it depending on, on, on that, like then I can kind of work my way back. Like, okay, this is where I'm going to start cutting bedding areas in. And it doesn't always work out to where you're going to have uh, an upper third of the hill bedding area. Sometimes an upper third of the hill is close to the food source. And so like if it's close right. to the food source, does that mean the buck's never <clears> going to bed there? No. But a lot of times if you're cutting a bedding area close to that food source, it's going to get taken over by does. So that, that box right. is going to get pushed further back. And it's it just one of those things. And he, may, he might be there if that's where he thinks is the safest place to be. He might bed closer to those does. But, you know, there's a good chance he's going to be a little bit further away. So I, I do start with the food source and then kind of work my way back uh, to, to, fig- to figure out where I'm going to place my bedding. Right. Very good point. And I think, you know, for, for guys who are in hill country, especially in the south, I've, I've got limited experience with hill country up north. But I know here in the south, if you're in hill country and you're at that upper third of a ridge, you are probably 25 yards from your only access road to get in and out of there. Like, unless you've put a road straight up and down the side of that ridge, which would be way too steep for a road, 
you're probably not very far from the only feasible access that you have. So if you're limiting your betting options to upper third on the leeward side, like, good luck, man. Like, you're, you're, going, you're going to struggle because now all of a sudden a bulk of your property, you, you can't go in there. You have to make it sanctuary. You have to leave it alone. So you basically park at the gate, take 30 steps, and climb a tree because you can't go any further because all your buck betting is, you know, third of the way up, up the ridge. So let's, uh, let's talk about the process then just a little bit, Jake. And, Brendan, you know, feel free to jump in here as well. I know you guys have uh, similar, you know, hardwood types of scenarios there in New York. So what, what's that process look like for you? If you want to as far as build, building the actual bed? Yeah, building bed, bedding areas. Let, let's let's talk with areas first, and then maybe we will get into you know cutting in individual beds and how important that is. You know, I, I see a lot of YouTube videos that say, "Hey, you got to do it." I see a lot of others that are like, "That's ah, that's dumb. Don't do it." Mm-hmm. So uh, I want to get you know multiple opinions on this. Yeah, definitely. So obviously, just like we just talked, the the first thing you want to do is find that location. Um, where is that buck going to feel safe? And really, at the end of the day, that's that is what a buck needs. He needs that security feeling. Um, and it's funny, it's funny that people say that, you know, it's always going to be that, that upper third that a buck's going to bet on, you know, that's, that could be the case. Um, and there's a reason for that. There's a reason there's that belief there is because, you know, that's usually where wind is swirling. If it's coming over top of that Ridge, um, also it gives him that visual advantage. And that's something I talk about a lot and I feel really redundant saying it, but having that visual advantage is so important and that can come down on a bottom. It doesn't necessarily be, have to be up there at the top. So once we finally find that location, um, the first thing that I like to do, if there's marketable timber, which if we are talking about an upland hardwood forest, um, there usually is some marketable timber. And so if there is marketable timber, I'm going to get uh, usually a forester or a logger in there to take out that bigger uh, stuff first. Because the last thing I want to do is go in there and make a bunch of beautiful you know, pockets of, of hinge cuts and trails just to have a logger come in there and destroy all of it. Um, because I, it's a lot of heavy lifting. It's a lot of heavy work. He's dropping a lot of big trees with a lot of a big, a lot of big equipment. And that's something we need to make sure we go in there, get that done first, get the marketable timber out. And then that's what I'm going to go do the fine detail stuff. Um, and it's just so dependent on what type of forest you're in, what you're going to go about doing. And what I mean by that is there's trees that hinge well, there's trees that don't hinge well. Um, on my property specifically, we have a lot of red maple, some ash, uh, both aren't the best hinging trees. If you do it, you know, meticulously and carefully, you can get them to hinge successfully. Uh, but you know, going in there and, and using different tools such as, um, the hinge cut, the, uh, hack and squirt grill and spray. Um, at the end of the day, we are, we are trying to open up the canopy and it sounds simple, but how you go about doing that is the important thing. What I mean by that is I'll try to use an example um, of something we're doing on our, on our property right now. We are adding in a large bedding area right directly adjacent to our destination food source. And how we're do- going about that is, first of all, we are obviously clearing canopy. This is about an eight-acre section, so it's fairly big. Um, but within that eight-acre section, we are leaving pockets of closed canopy forest. So if you can imagine this, it's a large area that's got eight thicker pockets, you know, not very big of closed canopy forest that's not going to be growing any undergrowth. And that is really where I expect the deer to be bedding, um, not necessarily within that thick cover. Uh, another great point I, I try to compare as I try to compare deer to humans as much as possible because that's how clients can relate. Um, and now, if you if you were expecting or thought that there was possibly danger going on around your house uh, and you didn't have any weapons, you know, your only your only uh, defense was running and hiding. You know, are you going to 
go hide in the closet and just wait and not be able to see. No, you're probably going to peek out the window, peek out behind the curtains, look for that danger with the with the chance of going back and and, and escape away from that. And what I mean by that is. Um, we, they bet usually on the edge of security cover, not within that. Uh, so right back to that visual advantage. It's, it's very, very important. Yeah, very good. Very good. So how big are, are you guys hoping to make some of these betting locations? Again, it varies on the property. It, you know, if, do we, are we working with a larger property or we're working with a smaller property? I, I tend to like to make, like, like what Brennan said, more of these individual pockets. Like I, I go heavy on a cut in a pocket leave a little bit of open canopy forest and then do do another heavy cut and what, what that's going to do is again it's going to create separation of of different bedding areas so you can you, you can start holding more deer you might have one doe family group in one another doe family group in another and it's also going to create edge if you have one giant clear cut like what you were talking about earlier you know 20 acre clear cut that's great deer bedding in there and they're going to have deer in there but how are you going to hunt that the deer could be anywhere in there. You want to make sure that you're encouraging deer movement or deer behavior in certain areas and, and that you can actually hunt that. So if you have separated pockets, now you're going to have this trail that's going to cut around along the each side of it, downwind and the upwind side. But then you're also going to have trails that cut in between those different pockets. And where those intersections come together, those make excellent stand locations. Great for mock scrapes, potentially a water hole and just it gives you more hunt, hunting options it makes the property more huntable it makes that buck work a little more as he has to kind of work his way through those different pockets it just it's a it's a lot it's a lot more huntable i guess i keep saying that but like then, then a, just a wide open 20 acre clear cut right right yeah it's gonna it's gonna work for you rather than against you uh, you know the i feel like the larger now, you want it to be big enough to hold deer, but the larger a bedding area is, it feels like the more options there are and the more difficult it can be to figure out exactly where he's going to stick his head out, right? Like exactly where he's going to make that first uh, outside of bedding cover kind of appearance during daylight hours. So let's jump over then and talk about uh, swampy, marshy type of terrain. So uh, I f the hardwood piece, that gets a lot of coverage and... Uh, I feel like the swamp piece maybe doesn't get as much other than just to say, hey, that's thick swamp. Like, we're just going to leave that as thick swamp and leave it as bedding area. Is there Are there any tricks up your sleeves, though, that you guys are using to uh, promote bedding in a specific part of that swamp or maybe just take one part of it and, you know, kind of sweeten it up and make it even make it that much better? And you touched on this, I think, in our last podcast, Josh, when you talked about throwing a mattress out there and just making a deer bed. I don't know if you're yeah, yeah. You just yeah. You, you just take a mattress and you you put it out there, pillow, blanket. Like yep. I mean, they 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 pick up on it pretty quick. Pretty like quick. they get it. So you yeah, they know what I you're mean, there. You're for. not really that far off though. So a lot of times in, in a swampy area, it, the reason that it, like there's not a, a lot of upland trees is because it's wet, right? There's only so right. many different types of trees and shrubs that grow there, and so it's a lot of thicker cover, and, and deer do like it in there because it's 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 thicker there. They can they can hide in there, and now. They're gonna they're gonna find specific spots in there to bed down, and that's what we want to try to find to encourage bedding. And so what I like to try to do, and this is like 
a lot of times this is where you can get some some bucks to bet if you have some upland betting maybe off to the side and you have a swamp system that runs through your property a lot of times what you can do then is if you can get those does closer to the food source closer like in that in that upland area then you can maybe get some bucks to bet in in this swamp and so this is not something that i'm doing right away but once i kind of have a lot of these other improvements finished on my property then i might be going and tackling this swampy stuff this is that's how it works out at a lot of the client properties that i work with I'm going in there and I'm searching for islands. I'm searching for high spots in this swamp. And what you want to look for are just these trees, like the big trees or maybe just sections of cover where, where maybe it's just a lot of uh, cattails, a lot of reed canary grass in there. But then you see a clump of trees or maybe this one large uh, red maple right out in the middle or a dead ash tree right out in the middle. And you go out there and you can kind of see there's a little mound right there. And on a wet year, or maybe it's always wet in this swamp, depending on what, which swamp it is, you know, that water is going to rise up and those deer are going to find the dry spot in that swamp. They can walk through there just fine, even when it's a little bit wet, but they're going to find the driest spot in there. So it's thought that's going to be the high spot and they're going to lay down. And what you want to make sure you're doing is a lot of times these swampy trees, they, they, they lose limbs just like every other tree does, or if it's an ash tree, it's probably dead. And so it, it lost all of its limbs and those limbs are probably going to be laying down on that high spot. And so you want to go out there and clear that thing off and, and you can even take like a, a, a steel rake or garden shovel and smooth that spot out so you have a, a big spot right there for a deer to lay down. And if you just go and do that in a couple different spots within this swamp, it's, it's not to say that a, a buck or a, a deer is going to use that every time, but you're just giving him options. And the more options that he has on your property, same with the does, the more options that they have, the higher probability you have of those deer bedding on your property. And, and that will make it so much easier for you to have opportunities at that deer. So the, the biggest thing for me in, this, in those swampy areas is going and finding those islands and clearing off a spot for those deer to lay down. And this is the time of year that I'm doing it because all the swamps are frozen. So you can actually get out mm, there right now yeah. without sinking to your waist <clears throat> in muck. And you can get out to those islands and just put some blue I use blue flagging tape. I mark all those spots so that I can go there kind of when the snow starts to melt a little bit, but the ground might still be frozen. And I go out there and I clear those spots off. That way I, I just I, like I know that I, I uh, have some spots. And if, if you have a spot that's not considered a wetland and you can like really do a lot of manipulation to it like without having some sort of a permit, you can go in there with mulch and you can actually like build some of these islands. So you can count like, like a lot of these high spots – it's a high spot, but it's not big enough for a deer to lay down in. Now they will lay mm -hmm. down in some really small spots. Like I've, I've seen buck beds that are, they're really, they're about this big. And that's, so half of these, these deer are probably in the water, but th that's in a really high hunting pressure area. So these deer are forced in right. there. But like you, if you, you can make it more attractive by making it a little bigger, if you're able to, if, if it's against an area that's not classified as a wetland, you can go in there with mulch and just like build some of these islands. Yeah. That's really, really good. Uh, quick tip for, for those of you who are listening to me here in Georgia. Uh, we're not going to have the ice like Jake's talking about. It's going to be 70 here next week. So, uh, yeah, just go ahead and just just deal with the alligators. Um, it, just, it just is what it is. Go ahead and jump in there, alligators and snakes. But, uh, no, seriously, though, a, a hot tip, uh, if you're down here, I, I don't know so much about the, the species of trees where you are, but if you're looking at a large swamp and I see a cluster of two or three pines amid the sea of cypress trees, that tells me, even if that's 300 yards back in there, it's worth the walk or the slog through the swamp because that's a high spot, right? And I need to get in there and check it out. So if you're looking at aerial photography, 
begin to learn those trees. Learn which ones are going to grow in your higher, you know, higher areas, whereas, you know, a cypress will grow in the water. Well, pine tree is not going to like that. So if you see some nicer pines sticking up out of your out of your swamp, then you probably want to get in there and, and check that spot out. So learn what your trees are, learn their growth characteristics in and around these swamps, and you can capitalize on that without having to, uh, you know, spend the day with waders on figuring out exactly, you know, which part of the swamp you want to be in. But uh, Brendan, you got anything to add to swamps? Yeah, I mean, I think Jake hit it right on the head there. Um, the first thing you want to do is obviously find those high spots. You really don't want to bed in, in actually standing water. Uh, the only other thing I would add, I would say, is if it's uh, not too much of a swamp, like let's say it's not, you know, feet deep of water, it's just fairly, you know, damp. You actually maybe can get equipment in there. And actually the best time for us to get equipment in areas like this is during the winter time. If you can get a decent freeze, um, you can get a, maybe a track machine in there, such as a skid steer with, with a forestry mulcher on it. Um, and what I'm looking to do in those areas is I want to find, first of all, those high spots. Um, and then I might go in and I might cut pockets in front of those high spots. And let's say I've got a high spot in this location. I might cut it on the east side of that one. And then I got another high spot over here. I might cut it on the south side of that one. And now what we've just done is, we, is we've created a perfect spot for a deer to lay, have that visual advantage that I keep going back to. And also we're increasing the palatability of that browse. Um, you know, as plants get older, this is any plant, any tree, shrub. Uh, herbaceous growth. As that plant gets older, it becomes less palatable to the deer. Um, as the lignin molecule starts to uh, generate in the stem of that, of that whatever species of plant we're talking here, um, it becomes less palatable. So just cutting that back and having that regenerate uh, is going to give the deer a lot better browse. Um, actually, a property I was just on, we had a swamp area that was a lot of gray dogwood, a bunch of willows, uh, some alder in there. And it just, there was no deer sign in there whatsoever. Uh, mm. But it was all, you know, eight foot tall growth that the deer, first of all, can't reach. And if they can, it's not, it's not very nutritious. So doing right. that in those areas can definitely help. Right. Very good, man. Uh, let's shift gears here now. And, you know, for these last couple of minutes, discuss uh, old fields, old pastures, even an ag field that you're getting to convert back into cover. Now, I'll be honest, being here in the South, it's rare that I find an opening like a pasture or something like that, that I don't want to convert to a food plot. Very, very often, if I've got an opening, I'm like, yes, there's an opening here. We don't have to clear it out. We can actually plant something here. Um, on a recent property, though, I had the opportunity. We've got uh, this creek bottom that was nearer to the access they would have had to walk through what is already a pretty prime bedding to access um, this, I think it was like three acre pasture. And now all of a sudden we got to say, hey, instead of using that three acre pasture as a pasture ground, or instead of using it as a food plot, let's turn that bad boy into some of the best bedding cover, but also some of the best brood rearing cover for turkeys because the guy likes to hunt turkeys as well. It's like, let's turn that into bedding and brood rearing cover and a trail plot may be coming out of it leading to this larger food plot, then we're going to be in business. So let's talk about that development and what some of that looks like, because I don't get to do it a lot. But when I do, I look back and I'm like, man, that's cool. Like I, you know, I really, really like the results that you get from that. So uh, Brendan, why don't you kick it up, kick us off here talking about, you know, developing some of that you know, either old pasture ground or old ag fields. Yeah. Um, so it, a lot of people refer to it as just old field conversion. Um, right. And we actually have 
quite a large area on our property. I've dealt with a lot of clients that have had open areas. And in the north, uh, and I'm sure actually a lot of other places around the country, what we're dealing with is a lot of cool season grasses that have been planted over the years by farmers. Um, a lot of orchard grass, Timothy, uh, obviously, so they can go out there and, and cut it down for hay and feed their cattle. What that's done is it's really suppressed a lot of the nat native habitat. Um, so what we need to do is we need to go in there and cause a disturbance and eradicate that those cool season grasses in order to regenerate and, and promote um, native species in, in and throughout there. You know, there's a lot of ways to go about this. Uh, I've tried a couple of them and, and uh, some of them you need to make sure you're going about it the right way or you're just not going to have the results. I actually went out with a tiller and I tilled during the dormant season all these cool season grasses to go and kill them. And during that time, you know, the, the thought process is obviously you're going in and you're killing these cool season grasses and then the herbaceous growth comes back. We did not till nearly aggressive enough, did not get down on the root system enough. And we came back the next year and it was the same cool season grasses. So if you are using that method to eradicate those, you need to make sure you're tilling aggressively enough. Um, the easiest option that I found is going in there and spraying. You know, you can wait mm. uh, in the, in the fall, after a, for a, after a couple hard frosts, you can the only the only plant at that time that's going to be alive and able to take in uh, a herbicide is going to be those cool season grasses. So you can go in there and spray that, not hurt any of the other um, broadleaf weeds or, or warm season herbaceous herbaceous growth, and and come back the next year during the summer, and you're going to have a lot better results and a lot more uh, nutritious and palatable food for your deer herd. Excellent, excellent, Jake. Anything to add on that? Just kind of build off of what Brennan said, uh, like what he he said, uh, you really got to get rid of what's already there. A lot of times, like if you're taking like a, what was a pasture, and it kind of depends on what's in your seed bank, and if they've been doing it for right. for such a long time. A lot of times, if you if you do till it over, you you might have a response that you that that you like, but you're kind of you might have to do it if you do that and you realize oh it didn't work then you have to spray anyway so for me i'm a spray guy <laughs> yeah, i'm gonna i'm gonna go right yeah. to the spray and, and just kind of control what i can control and then go in and plant something else uh and right. with me a, a lot of times with that with that field conversion a lot of times there is going to be some sort of food uh component nearby so I, I i really like to use at least here in michigan like a switchgrass not necessarily for for the bedding but as, as a structure around what I, where I want these deer to bed. So it's going to be a field of, it's a, it's a larger field with switchgrass, but more pockets of these either pollinator blends or woody brows, like with different shrubs or, or maybe pockets of trees. And I don't really expect that in that a scenario like that, I don't expect the deer to bed necessarily within the switchgrass. Now they, they will bed in switchgrass, but I expect them to bed like what Brennan said earlier is more along the edges of the, the edges of the switchgrass with, within kind of these pockets. And this was going to be more like in an area probably with a, with heavy hunting pressure where they're, they're going to be forced into these really uh, tight areas. Uh, but like th that's where you want to have diversity on your property with the type of bedding. So you're not, that, that's not going to be the only type of bedding on your property is, is these, you know, thick switchgrass areas with, with uh, pollinators and, and, and woody browse pockets. You want to have, the, if you have the opportunity to, you have the, this, you know, timber bedding, maybe some bedding in the swamp as well. So depending on that personality of the deer, depending on the area, you know, they just have different options because, you, just, you want to make sure you have diversity with with a lot of different habitat improvements. But if we're converting a field, I I really like the uh, you know switchgrass almost bordering your uh, your different pockets. And within the pockets, it has to be some sort of a food source that'll that'll 
highly encourage those deer to actually be in there. Like on our properties, even where we haven't done any work, where we notice these deer bedding maybe next to a food source is, is right there with all those uh, goldenrod, ragweed, just annual grasses. You know, th that's where they're at. They're, they're, they're in all, all those forbs. Right. Right. Yeah. Very good, man. And so let's talk, <clears throat> let's talk development on something like that. You know, we do work with a lot of clients who are either doing like a pre-purchase review. They're thinking about buying a piece of property and they may look at it and they're like, man, that's a, that's very little cover, you know, not a lot of cover. It's all, it's all ag field or it's all pasture ground. What are we talking about as far as turnover to add that cover to a property that doesn't have it? Yeah, I mean, I, I could touch on that. It just to, obviously depends on the species of plants that you're that you're presenting in those areas. Um, if you're if you want to add in, let's say switchgrass, that that's you know a hot topic just because it is valuable um, for what we do. And you're talking two to three years, and that's going to be uh, sufficient. Now, how big is the the pocketbook at that point in time? Because it can be expensive. Um, I mean, we planted like I think it was five acres of it. Uh, and it was 700 bucks, I believe. So it is fairly pricey, but if you do it the right way, it's going to last you several years. So it is worth that initial investment. Um, my favorite by far is adding in conifers, adding in those spruce trees in those open areas. And you're talking, you know, five plus years, that's more of a long-term solution, but again, it's, it's worth the wait. Um, I think time frame. it's, it's very important to realize that a lot of these open areas, that are left alone that that were converted into these cool season grasses um these are going to take decades to to transform into what we want if you do not go in there and you kill those cool season grasses so mm -hmm. that's that's why it's important to go in there and kill them so that they don't create that mat over the native seed bed um and it's just going to speed up the process i guess i guess is what i'm trying to say there yeah that's a really really good point if you don't get in there and knock out what is there it's not going to be good you're gonna, you're gonna, you've got a long road ahead of you if you're just relying on stirring that seed bank and, you know, all the cool season grasses come back in or all the pasture grasses come back in. You've got a long road to hoe if you don't want to, uh, if you don't want to use some kind of herbicide application, mm -hmm. most likely. Um, good news for us here in the South, man, we can get some really fast turnaround on some of this stuff. Once you get a good kill, I mean, we have a nine month long growing season. 10 month long growing season in some of the places where, where we're hunting and, and consulting. So it's like, yeah, you got, you know, two years and this place is going to be head high and super thick with, you know, native browse. If you can get the cool season pasture grasses killed off, right? Like if you can, if you can take that step. So uh, gentlemen, thanks for joining me for this uh, betting segment. Any last thoughts you want to leave people with? I think we covered it. Yeah, I mean, I, I would I would say probably the only thing, sorry to jump in there, Josh, is, is you got to find that, that spot where they feel secure. Um, Security is the key. So you find that and you create that on your property and you're going to have better bedding. I like it. I like it. One quick thing that I do want to add just real quick, and I think you guys will probably agree with me. Don't be afraid to mess it up. So many people I feel like that I talk to, they're like, ah, when you start talking about cutting and bedding, that's where I get nervous. And it's like, man, go in there, make a mess and learn some things. It'll be fun. Yep. You just, know, just be it, safe about it. You know, yeah, j just be safe. But when it comes to, you know, being afraid of cutting certain things or not, like it, it, it'll be all part of the learning process yep. in the end. It'll so, be fine. But Definitely. That's right. That's right. Good stuff, guys. Well, everybody, thanks for joining us for this week's episode. If you have not, join us on the YouTube channel where you can watch this episode and a bunch of others where we break down a lot of hunting properties and help you learn some principles for how to take care of yours. 
Thanks for listening to this week's show. If you found this helpful, do us a favor and leave us a review wherever it is that you get your podcasts. And if you want to keep up with us, you can find us on Instagram at whitetail underscore partners, on Facebook, Whitetail Partners LLC, on YouTube by simply searching Whitetail Partners, or online at whitetailpartners.com. 